In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Today's episode discusses topics of suicide. If you or anyone you know needs help, please call 13 11 14. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. One of your biggest questions as an employer is how do I hire the right people? And right now, competition to find the right person is absolutely fierce. With 3.5% unemployment, it's near impossible. This is the strongest jobs market on record. And it seems like every business is looking to hire right now. But let's zoom out for a second because I think we're valuing human capital in the wrong way. Because of that, we're seeing issues with retention, productivity, and workplace culture. Army veteran Tom Moore has founded a company called With You, With Me. First and foremost, they're a tech business. And they're looking to disrupt the way we hire talent and make businesses and employees better off in the long term. You're going to realize there are different ways of approaching the hiring process, both at an intellectual level and at a physical level. Tom and I also chat about why we as business owners need to stop acting like hospitals, how to encourage productivity and why you should be throwing out the resume. Because let's face it, it's not working. So let's get into it. Tom Moore, welcome to The Mentor, mate. With you, with me, is what? Uh, with you, with me, is a uh, tech company founded in Australia Yep. whose sole vision is to solve underemployment. And we do that by helping people get hired um, or retained in companies based off their potential versus their experience. So we test your aptitude in 45 minutes, match you to every job forever, train you in 140 hours to learn to be a technologist, either get you a tech job or help you start a tech career internal to a business. So we've been able to combine disrupting the recruiting system with solving a tech skill shortage. Um, veteran. What the fuck does that mean, veteran? Well, I mean, it sounds like someone's really old. You're not. You're pretty young. I feel really old. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what business does to you. How do you still look good, Mark? <laughs> Don't worry. It's old on the inside. Don't worry about that. Mm. In the early days when I was younger like you, to be honest with you, like uh, – I felt like I aged 10 years over a period of two or three years. Mm. But as you get older, you just you just roll the punches. It's a bit like you when you, you you know, you, you're you in the service of the nation. You uh, did a tour in Afghanistan, correct? Yeah. So I would say to you, how would you do that? And you'll probably say, oh, I just roll the punches. How did you do that? A high calling, I think. And uh, uh, my family has a deep-grained need to fight injustice. That's interesting. 
Yeah. And that, your family being your parents and brothers and sisters and yeah. broader family. Yeah, we've done about 200 years in the British military and 200 years in the Australian military, all fighting. And what do you mean by that, fight against injustice? Well, in some ways, it's we, just got, we just have big mouths. We have to back it up. <laughs> what was it that Tom Moore felt was injustice, encouraged him to go to fight in Afghanistan against who you were fighting? A, a really, really simple way of looking at it is that my family doesn't like bullies or the systems they create and then hide behind. Um, injustice to me at the time, because I was young, was stopping people doing bad things on shore here by going overseas to protect people that couldn't protect themselves. And like I had led a 60-man combat team in Afghanistan as a part of a counterinsurgency effort against a, a group of bad guys that weren't doing good things. As a part of being a part of that operation, we've now got better defences here through the support of our allies. But to answer your question on why my family has always done it, we've always just wanted to be good at fighting for something. And no matter where there's a bully, we've sort of got ourselves involved. So that's how we ended up here on the Second Fleet as convicts. And hundreds of years before that, we've always joined the military. And when you say Second Fleet, you came in as convicts? Yeah. Uh, yeah. My family's originally from York. Um, all of them served. One of them got out, thought they could be a lawyer and get people off transportation, ended up getting transported. <laughs> so we don't always win. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but you say that with pride. What lesson do you learn from having that ethic? Sometimes the battles that you fight are bigger outside the army than they were in them. And I'm all in, mate. This is a, the problem I'm solving now is a bigger problem than I was solving in the army. It has more stakeholders that need people like me to succeed. And it's extremely painful. I can only describe it as pain, but sometimes a scrappy company with a great idea can change the world. And sometimes no matter how painful it is, it's worth doing. That's interesting. So when you say painful, you mean just a fucking brain damage shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Look, both. Like I've been working 100 hours a week for eight, nearly eight years. Yeah, so ex exhaustion. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, but I've never been in the Army. But like- This is harder than the Army. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, like, is this harder than being in Afghanistan and dudes, you know, firing bullets over your head and not sleeping and thinking when you go to bed at night, fuck me, a, a bomb might just land on my, my laptop. I mean, is that- it, Well, it, yeah, the cool thing about the Army is the Army um, is hundreds of years old. You know, when you build a business, you've got to build everything. You've got to build the structure, the symbols, the culture, the rituals, the people. But in the army, that's all there. You've just got to play the game. It's almost like um, in the army you go out uh, and, you know, I was a, a platoon commander. You know, the team was great and then got better and they're all got their own intrinsic benefits but um, the army has built soldiers that do great work and Australia is renowned for it. So, Is that right, are we? Yeah, they're renowned for their ability to um, have a force multiplier larger than our like, country. Like we've punched higher than we should literally our whole history of military operations. Um, one, because we're brawlers. Two, we hate authority. So you put them at the tip of the spear, they seem to do a good job. And three, we're very creative. So, you know, we're renowned in certain allies of being able to do hard things. So, you know, I deployed in Afghanistan with a high-performing team. And that high-performing team wasn't built by me. I organized it, I coordinated it, and I got on the ground. But it's like just jumping in as a first draft pick into a team full of first draft picks. When you start a business, way more mistakes. You haven't got hundreds of years of institutional knowledge that make your systems work, that have become part of your behaviors or your reporting system. You don't have uh, effective recruiting mechanisms. You know, You might be really, really good at your core business, 
And then you get really, really good at that and then you grow. And then all these other challenges that you would call business architecture, the army's brilliant at. They could take an 18-year-old person like me from Cameltown and turn them into a commissioned army officer in like two and a half years, leading 60 men at 22. That's insane. What does a platoon do? Like, uh... Yeah, so like an infantry platoon is trained to, I guess, attack and defend a position. They're generally 30 people. I had 60 um, in the context of Afghanistan, a lot of that was done by special forces. So the majority of my platoon's operations were uh, counterinsurgency, so um, engaging with the population, um, securing the population and training the local forces. We're not really trained to do anything on the last one. So, um, you know, you'd have to go from being a plumber to being a warrior, to being a plumber, to being a warrior, to being a teacher, to being a warrior, to being a policeman, to being a warrior. It's so, um, yeah, so as a platoon commander, you're in charge of about eight team leaders. Roughly they're about 30 years old, so they're older than you. And um, you get given a mission, then you go execute the mission. And our mission went everywhere from close personal protection, so protecting um, you know, Australian or American senior officers to securing an area, um, to acting as quick reaction to a special forces contingent. So a uh, little bit of everything, but um, the the role of the infantry is to seek out and close with the enemy. Um, and we've been doing that for hundreds of years. And, and how long does a mission like this last for? Nine months and like at 22, the Afghans, they, they love, you can grow a beard. I haven't been able to grow a beard till I was like 32. So <laughs> I used to have this huge mullet and... Um, we used to use that to sort of engage with the populace to have a bit of respect. But yeah, you're about you're there for about nine months. Um, gets pretty hard about month seven. Um, the job is as a platoon commander is to lead, organize, direct, and then go out there and lead, organize, direct. You're in charge. But you have to go with them. You're not sort of sitting behind. Oh yeah, the desk. you go with them. You lead with them, like you're, you're on, the, on the ground. You're the lowest um, form of command in the Australian Army from a commissioned officer perspective. And then, uh, if you're good, you've got what we call non-commissioned officers, which are your senior team leaders. And all you got to do is get the most out of them because they're faster, better, smarter, more experienced. So. Uh, the Australian or well, the military has always had a young commissioned officer and more senior team leaders. In terms of senior being age and experience. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, our companies used to have management programs. Yeah. And they take young people to be managers, yep. but their technicians and trades people go up through the ranks. Yep. Same thing. So that person can jump straight into leading a team of 30 or 40, whereas the other will go through a system of becoming a specialist at what they do and then becoming a technical manager of, say, six to eight people. It's the same thing in the military it is in business. So you come out of the military at 25, 26. Yeah, I didn't want to. Yeah. Oh, you didn't want to? No, you no. You got discharged? I, uh, I got diagnosed with severe osteoarthritis in both legs and got told I'd never walk again. What, what's that caused from? Hereditary. It was like came out of nowhere in three months. Mine. The good way to think about it is I had the knees and ankles of an 80-year-old man or, or woman. Wow. Um, somewhere in my blood hereditary, and then I had to get stem cell to walk again. So. Spent about 12 months in rehab, got back to walking, got back to running. They told me I'd never walk again. I told them to get fucked, did that. Um, but I couldn't carry all the equipment anymore. I could run, I could walk, but I can't fight. Uh, so that really messed with me. I was medically discharged uh, that year and then found myself uh, without a job. Unemployed Yeah. after having served your country. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I went and moved back in with my parents but hadn't been home in like eight years. That was an experience. 
Yeah, that's that's what. Because the person I left home with was not the person I came back. Yeah. So, would you say? Did you have any like trauma, or were you traumatized? Do you think, or more traumatized from the fact that you had osteoarthritis? Yeah, the second one. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, a lot of soldiers go through a lot, but so do a lot of emergency nurses. Yeah. Um, So for me, a lot of mine was um, I quit when my legs stopped working. You know, I rejected healthcare properly. Everything was my fault. You know, when you take a step back and you're like, well, no one was really helping you. Not really. You didn't really help yourself. And by the time I figured out how to help myself, the damage that was done up here was pretty extensive. For a long time, I felt the army let me down. But the answer is it's life. Sometimes you have everything and it just gets taken from you. And it's how you respond to it. You can either be the fool or you can be the hero. So uh, for a while, I was the fool. And then I, you know, started to work out that, you know, the only person that's going to get you out of this is you. And no one's coming, so you better get yourself out of bed every day. And for me, like there is a lot of other people that I serve with that are in way worse positions that have sacrificed way more. So I stop fucking feeling sorry for myself. I mean, do you feel as though there was a an enemy um, within? Yeah, like I wasn't a good soldier. I was an, I was a bad one. I wasn't a good officer. I was a bad one. I had to work at it, and then I became good at it, but a lot harder than everyone else because my brain operates a bit differently. Um, I need to understand how everything works. Whereas the army, the way, the way it teaches you is like this, do that. So we'll show you how to do it once and you got to do it. I don't think that way. Um, I have to understand how the whole thing connects and then I can do it. So you go to recruit school. They just yell at you the whole time because you're asking too many questions. And that's fine. That's how they operate. So, um, you know, I wasn't naturally a good soldier. I mean, you're not a good fighter, just not a good soldier. And then when I eventually got outfield and into operations, I was a way better one. So... Um, so it took me a long time to get good at it. And then when I got great at it or I was preparing to get great at it, it got taken from me. And then my whole identity went with it, right? You build a whole identity yeah. about becoming a warrior and then you finally get to the precipice where you can start to become one and it's like, hey, man, go back, you know, don't collect $200, don't mm. pass go, you go on a prison. Like, that's pretty much what happened. Um, and when you take everything aside, like you, you pull yourself apart and you – and you don't have that warrior brand and you don't have anything else and you don't really have anyone around you because you've committed everything to this brand. Like you're not, a, you haven't been a good son, you haven't been a good partner, you haven't been a good brother, haven't been a good friend because you've been working, you know, 80 hours a week becoming this person. Um, you realize there's not much left. And what's left, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it wasn't that positive. That was pretty hard to deal with. As a young man, how do you deal with that? Like, but that's fucked up. Uh, do you get on the piss or what? what, what you know? uh, I, well, I was, I got, really angry at a certain commanding officer and got myself in a lot of trouble and got banished to Wagga. Um, and, you know, what's, what's Wagga? Wagga Wagga. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Town, uh, the recruit school. Uh, oh, the okay. recruit school. Yeah. And I couldn't train recruits because my legs don't work properly. So yeah. I was just literally posted to a desk in Wagga Wagga. I think I've nearly been banned from every pub in Wagga Wagga for life for fighting. <laughs> so not, not for not good reasons. And, you know, um, I tried to kill myself about three times and it's very hard to do that. And I'll never put anyone in that position or do I ever blame anyone that does because if you get to that point, it's pretty bad. And the same guy stopped me three times actually. And I was like, well, this isn't happening. So I need to find another way out of it. So every week for about 12 weeks, I drove back to Sydney, five hours on a Friday night or whatever it is, and then five hours back. On Sunday. Just to keep myself alive. And I was like, I don't know what I need to find, but I think eventually I'll find something. And that drive was one of the most painful drives I've ever done. But the the alternative of sitting in a room by yourself in Wagga, uh, attempting self-harm was worse. 
So five hours in the or ten hours in the car is better than ten hours in the room. Yeah, you, you kick Wagner in the guts and you decided to leave the army. Yeah, the army pretty much um, medically discharged me. Yep, um, which is exactly what needed to happen. You know, I was never going to be fit to fight again, which is a shame. Uh, and I, you know, went home for like three days to live with my parents. I was like, this isn't going to work. And then moved into the city and probably drank for about 60 days straight. That would help with your arthritis. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, you know, started applying for jobs because after drinking for 60 days straight, I was like, nothing's changing. So yeah, I better probably. do something. Oh, what do I need? I need a job. Um, and I applied for hundreds of jobs, ended up getting you know, 12 interviews and um, this is when I realised the recruiting system was broken. Uh, I got told by one of the banks that I couldn't be a security guard because I had no financial services experience. What the fuck? Yeah. Apparently a banking building is different than any building that I've secured in the past Yeah, or in Afghanistan. Yeah. And so off the back of that, you saw a, you were well, obviously realised there was a problem. Well, this is a big problem. So the system doesn't work. Mm. And if I've got a degree that I came second at university and I came second at Duntroon and first at the school of entry. So I'm not the average person coming out of the military. Like I, I would consider myself, I worked my ass off to be a performer. Um, then what's happening to everyone else that may have not have had a chance to get a degree that's leaving the army. So I started cold, like I worked out you could cold call CEOs in Australia um, and you just go into the console, steal their, you know, effectively penetrate their system and, you, you'd call them and you'd always get a listed CEO in Australia between 7.42 and 8 a.m. Yeah. Because it's like they haven't started their day yet. They're generally on a transition to their office. They don't really like their jobs. So anyone that can break through to them, they'll That's probably all. answer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, I'd you know, I'd, I, got about, I got about probably 32 of them and about 16 brought me in for an interview. And I ended up getting a job out of that uh, working at one of Hewlett-Packard's um, channel partners um, doing telemarketing for about 50,000 Australian a year, base, $50 commission, and we were selling small business servers in 2016, so clouds already happened, uh, to Australian businesses. And, you know, my job before was managing over 100 people uh, on double the salary. So definition of underemployment. And I worked out like 60 cold calls, you know, probably get like 12 connections, probably pitch five times, probably convert two people, so 100 bucks extra a week, right? Yeah. It's like, fuck, okay, this doesn't work. Yeah. So I ended up stealing one of the jackets that had Hewlett-Packard on it, drew a circle around all the buyers. There's about 1,200 in Sydney because they weren't answering the phones and then, um, you know, just didn't turn up to work and went door-to-door selling servers and sold $25 million worth in like a month. Wow. And then they were trying to fire me. Because I wasn't at work and I wasn't doing calls. Yeah, but you fired. Well, uh, on the day, like the the sort of push out eventually was like, hey, you know, I really wasn't obeying any rules. I was quite a bad employee, and you know, I've managed more people than the CEO of this company. And then I, you know, gave them all the invoices, and then all of a sudden the conversation changed pretty quick. He was a good CEO too. He's a good business. Um, and then I worked out, you know. Maybe I shouldn't be in a business. I probably should start one. Uh, and I needed a problem to solve. And the problem was really, really simple. I had one of my soldiers um, commit self-harm because they couldn't find work. And um, I was like, well, let's have a deeper look at this issue. I've faced the issue. This person's facing the issue. They're way more talented than I ever was. And all of my soldiers are way more talented than I ever was. And they're all struggling. They're either going to security or they're going to the mines. And within two to three years, their lives blow up. They're, they're, the partners leave them. They don't see their kids. And they have depression. And when you look at it, well, you know, they're not entering society. 
and they're not entering society because they don't have meaningful work. So um, I ended up leaving that company and then starting with you with me. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So I'm back here with Tom Moore. We understand the problem, and the problem was pretty obvious to you. It's one you experience, and some of your soldiers were experiencing guys you'd, you'd served with in Afghanistan or in your platoon. And then the solution is about you call it disruptive, but the solution is about actually turning on its head the way organizations, companies, corporations, organizations, small business, whatever it is, actually recruit. And I want to talk also a little bit later about this underemployment issue because it's a big issue, you know, sure. re- relative to unemployment and the numbers we keep getting thrown down our throats. Mm. So you're not a tech guy. It's not your go. Um, you're a soldier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how did you go about setting up a tech business? How did you, you recruit all your um, developers, et cetera? And how did you build the architecture? How did you go about it? Right. Uh, so um, we started with a really simple thing. It was like if we make all soldiers technologists, then they won't struggle to get a job. Originally, people would come to my house in Woolloomooloo and the first strategy we had was let's make all let's make a few soldiers recruiters if they're the recruiters I'll start recruiting more soldiers or more veterans um, so we started placing recruiters and training them in our kitchen then we worked out that didn't really work so what we started to do was buy off-the-shelf training like on Udemy or one of those online training providers and give it to a veteran for free and they get paid a recruiting fee when a business bought them off us so they get trained for free bang then we worked out most tech training sucked. So we started, you know, we used to be instructors. Can't be that hard. We used to train people to do all different types of things in the military. The military is really just a training organization in a lot of ways when it's not deployed. So we started to build our own training. And for like three years, it sucked. But then we got good at it. And then all of a sudden, we became a tech training company. Um, and we provide all that training for free online if you were a veteran or you were serving in the military. And then we worked out that not everyone was good at picking the right tech training. You mean in terms of the veterans? Yeah. What tech training they picked to yeah. be trained upon, at? Yeah. So then we were like, well, how did the military get us to pick the right job? Aptitude testing. So then we built our own aptitude testing. Is that how the military do work out what yeah. skill base you're going to be yeah, become do, expert yeah. in? Definitely, yeah. All our business model is, is the military model but over industry. And an aptitude test is, explain it to me. Uh, an aptitude test is testing someone's ability to learn a skill. So therefore, uh, if you think about a job as just a set of skills that you have to apply, 
um, and you're competent when you can apply them and proficient when you're productive, then what the military's aptitude test does is it tells you what jobs you can do based off your brain's cognitive ability to learn the skills as a part of that job. So and not, to repeat. Correct, yeah. yeah. So not your feeling or temperament, like do you have the personality to do the job? It's more about actually do you have the cognitive ability to do the skill? So it's about cognitive ability yeah. as opposed to personality. In the past, have other tests been about your personality? Most are, yeah. A personality test is what? I mean, what, what do you mean by that? Um, at the purest form where it's actually working is the big five personality assessment and it assesses your temperament. You know when people say you lose your temper? Yep. It actually means that you're going against your natural temperament. So you could, you might be more agreeable and actually lose your temper. That's where the sort of term, it's been misconstrued over time. So, you know, there are five sort of traits of personality, extroversion, openness to experience, agreeableness, conscientiousness, neuroticism. That is a traditional personality test. It takes 11 minutes, can tell you a lot about the type of work environment you should work in, but not the job that you should do because the job's based off skills. Yeah. For example, you might be a really great person to work in a startup or turnaround environment, but as soon as those businesses get into growth or maturity, you're not the right temperament for it, even if you've got the right skills. Mm. So you see, you find people like, oh, this company's changed. I've, I've got to go. No, no. You're probably just at a different point in the business cycle. So the way that you get energy is when your, your personality fits the environment because you can be yourself at work. Um, and what you should be doing is going from startup project to startup project in that company versus your startup to then growth. So that's why we have a lot of turnover. So that's a big five assessment. The reason why they get construed is because they're a lot quicker to do a personality assessment than an aptitude test. Aptitude tests take about 45 minutes to 50 minutes. Personality tests about seven minutes to 11 minutes. So that's the accurate personality test. And then in industry, we've got a lot of ones that aren't accurate. So they're just like, uh, they make you feel good about yourself. Like all the tests tell you strengths, whereas the big five will tell you where you sit across the spectrums of the known personality, uh, which is five traits. And do most recruitment processes, whether it's through through a recruiter or you go through the recruiter and you're talking to the organisation, mm. um, most of those organisations traditionally work on personality, five personality traits that you just- um, Most will work on probably one of the other things. One of the other things, yeah, but 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 not really about- what skills are required for the job and what skills you actually got or what Correct. skills you got an aptitude yeah. to, to, so to like learn. Most outside the military, most say employer testing is for volume recruiting. So think like uh, call centers, yeah. large volumes, of, like large attrition yeah. or executive. Yeah. So generally the rest of the market doesn't do any of those types of tests. They might do a skills test, like how well do you know certain coding language, but yeah. even that isn't how well you do the job. It's just how well you know something. Whereas what we're saying is we've figured out what someone's underpinning cognitive ability is to do this job really well and we can predict that at age 16 when your brain settles. Is that because we don't sort of go beyond at 16 around the territory, our brain sort of just is developed? Yeah, generally your aptitude won't change yeah. fundamentally over time. Yeah. Okay, and is aptitude, pardon my ignorance again, but is it anything, has it got any relationship to IQ testing and that sort of stuff? IQ is some of the aptitude components. So yeah. you're, and I'm not an expert, but it's broken into two components. That's why we have an R&D team with you and me. We have crystallized intelligence and fluid intelligence. Crystallized intelligence would be like numerical reasoning. Yeah. And everyone thinks numerical reasoning is math, but it's your ability to assess probability of something. Um, whereas fluid intelligence is abstract reasoning, uh, the ability to connect underlying logic. So fluid intelligence is more commonly known as street smarts. Right. Right. Um, that doesn't get tested and nor does school enhance it. 
Like school is fundamentally based off numerical reasoning, probability and statistics, uh, statement and conclusion or verbal reasoning. So, you know, the ability to articulate, read, write an argument and comprehend. Um, and that's about it. The other ones like spatial awareness, the ability to design 2D, 3D shapes for efficiency, um, pattern recognition, they're not really used at schools or enhanced. So um, if you think about an IQ assessment, it's about half or 70% of what it is. Uh, and it's not linked to jobs, it's linked to sort of broad industries based off cognitive execution. Then what aptitude testing by skill does is that you could create any job off any skill set and be uniquely matched to it. It also can give you, um, for example, let's say if you're neurodivergent, let's say autistic, um, let's say that you know you're really really good at spatial awareness, digital symbol coding, uh, or pattern recognition. You could be a great software developer, like a 98% match. But your IQ would probably say you're 95 because you're not as good as statement. But that's how IQ is built. So um, by matching someone based off their ability to learn a skill, you can remove an IQ bracket where everything's combined. Well, or open up to a broader audience. It's more accessible. Yeah, but not at the cost of meritocracy. So. Okay, that's that unfairness is coming back in, but um, yeah. but, but and meritocracy is one of the biggest bullies there is. But yeah. so your 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 software that you developed mm. for your aptitude test, yep. is free. Yeah. So like, what happened is we started aptitude testing people. Yeah. They got better at completing training and picking the right career, and then um, we started matching people to jobs. So employers were like, "We'd like to hire these people." Yeah. So now that we've built a pre-built pipeline of people. So you um, pre-qualify basically. Yeah, we pre-test, we pre-train and yeah. you hire them, uh, which means, you know, uh, companies started using it to hire people. And then they were like, hey, this system that you've built to train, you know, a veteran from scratch, can we train other diverse groups? So now we train everyone that you would consider an unemployed or underemployed group is from an Afghan refugee that might have moved to Australia uh, through to, um, say, someone that might be lost their job or uh, they're shifting careers or the industry started to automate. We cover it all. Um, you can just sign up and do our testing, do our training for free and get certified because the bigger the candidate of the pool, the more employers use our software. And then after doing that, they were like, well, now that we've done all these different types of groups with you, could we use it for our employees? Because we're suffering from retention, and we've got we've got attrition, we've got poor productivity, and we're really starting to become a tech organization. So, you know, we're going from being a service business to being a, you know, going through a digital transformation, become a tech enabled service business, and we don't have the talent because we can't attract people like Google can or Facebook can. So then, a lot of a lot of government departments and organizations went from using our software for talent creation, so building someone and then hiring them, to talent mobility and talent management. So finding people internally that have the aptitude, upskilling them and getting them to join their tech team. So all of a sudden you've got the knowledge of the customer getting integrated right into your organization and you could give someone a longer career and a longer lifetime value as well. In terms of your business model, where's the charge? Where's the fee? So businesses pay a subscription fee to access the talent that we train. They pay a- So they can scan it. Even. Yeah, like and they can automatically shortlist people based off aptitude. Yep. They pay us a fee to pre-train people and hire them. So you, talent pipeline. A service. Yeah. That's the service you provide. That's, a, that's also a licensing model. So you have X amount of people that you can pre-train a year and you pick someone and you build someone. Um, you can also buy what we call uh, training seats. So you can train your own team annually. Yeah, just a license fee yep. to access your, uh, yep. your IP. And then you could also 
um, have a license fee to an enterprise version of our software that does yeah. all of those things across all of your time. Yeah, so whether it's internal or external. So like a big organisation might buy um, an enterprise agreement, have yeah. an enterprise agreement with you and they have everything you've got yeah. they can use across their whole organisation, whether it's recruiting, retention or just further training yep. or just placement. Yeah, everything everything across the talent value chain from talent management uh, through to talent mobility, through to retention, through to outplacement, through to recruiting, our software can be used with the unique Selling point being the aptitude test. It shows you exactly the potential of what someone could do in your workforce, in someone else's workforce, within your projects, and it can increase productivity, can increase retention, and increase satisfaction. So do you, does your aptitude test or the software, or not the architecture, but well, maybe the architecture, but sort of the, um, the more detailed refinements, how many iterations does an organisation like yours have to have had? Like, I mean, or, or are you still working on what you originally kicked off with? Yeah, so... Um, the real benefit is having someone that's a technologist. So then how we get them is just faster. Mm. So right now, companies are buying a faster way of having a technologist. Over the next five years, we should be able to get our tests from predicting someone's ability to learn a skill to predicting if they're going to be productive in that skill. And that'll take another five years to do. So you could say that what people are buying is into the idea that we'd like to hire off potential train off potential, but we really are paying you for someone that's a finished product. In the end, in five yeah. years' time. Right now. Right now. But in five years' time, if we've built out our testing the right way and we've tracked people's success, you should be able to test someone and see their predictiveness across your business for 10 to 15 years. That's when the testing becomes the core value prop. And the predictiveness is is a probability base. Is you working at using some sort of statistical analytics around that? Like in yeah, so we have a number of feedback loops, but the, the key thing that we're trying to show is that if someone's aptitude, someone's temperament, so personality, and someone's uh, drive or work effort through using the system, are amenable to being you this could, particular employee. At this particular stage, yep. doing this particular thing that you know is valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And then what you're going to do is look at it again in five years' time and see how well you predicted that outcome. Correct. Yeah. And that'll take us from just testing if someone could learn a skill to testing if they're the right person for you at this team at this time, billing against X or costing you less or making more money Y. So, and do you use, is there some form, format of machine learning involved here? Like, uh, there now is, yeah. There now We're is. starting to building that out. Yeah. yeah so, and uh, obviously you need- Very rudimentary though. Yeah, but you, well, you need participation from your, yeah. let's call it clients. You need a lot know. more people tested. Yeah, yeah you, need, you need to do a lot of it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you need, but, but over a five-year period, do you reckon you're going to be able to work out the probability of accuracy of, of your system? I am, I think we'll be able to get to a point to predict when someone could be productive. Um, as a combination of aptitude, personality traits, skills acquired, and the team that they're joining. I fundamentally believe job descriptions are going to disappear and you're going to get matched to a team and a role within that team. Can you explain that to me? I don't quite understand that. Uh, so right now, like, you know when you apply for a job, yep. it's like I need X amount of experience, Y amount of skills, and this is the person that's going to be successful. What that job description doesn't say is what is the project? Who's in the team? Like, who am I going to spend all my time with? Um, where is it? What's the stage? Is it chaotic? Is it structured? Um, and, you know, if we do it well, like, so what's the KPI? And if we do it well, what's my benefit? There is no reason that a company shouldn't share that today. There is no reason that, um, and the reason they won't is because if you look at job descriptions, the first question is, well, why is the opening there? 
And if you were to use the method, I just said, you have to say, well, the last person we picked was the wrong person. And that's why it's not that transparent. And that's why we have this really bad thing. So what I fundamentally, when you shift to say a team description, you can talk about rather than, um, you know, who's going to be successful. You can talk about, well, the project is this, we're working on this. This is the problem that we're solving. This is the key performance indicator for the team. These are the people that are in the team. Do you want to meet them? And this is what their traits are. This is why your traits would be successful. This is how you have the aptitude to learn the job. And if you do learn the job, here is the remuneration package. There is no reason why today companies aren't doing that and companies are doing it in our software because the average digital native who can go on Uber Eats and see exactly when they can drop off a Big Mac, the cost of a Big Mac, the review of a Big Mac, who's going to drop it off and when, they, they, people have just stopped, stopped applying for jobs because why would I just look at a description that says, here are all the things you need to be, but I don't know how to be them. Who am I going to work with? I don't even know who they are. What's the mission of the company? Because I don't really believe in institutional brands anymore because you keep lying. And fundamentally, um, what skills do I need to be to be successful from day one? So like I now know what to be day one, it's this, but after that, how do I increase my earning capacity? So when you have a team description, you could actually put all the roles, who's in them, who they are so you can meet them, what the project is because that's actually quite exciting because companies have become more team-based than division-based. Uh, and I can see what my job looks like day one, but also what my career could look like over 10 years. And you could do that through aptitude matching and replacing a job description. And it's sort of a much more fulfilling, fulfilling process. And you can do that before you click apply. So you don't have to talk to anyone. If people are not using this type of system, employers, I'm talking about and recruiters, and also employees, it could be that a lot of people are either underemployed or just don't participate in the employment process. They just give up. Yeah, and that's what's happening. And, uh, you know, we keep getting hit up with this 3.5% unemployment number, um, which governments keep throwing at us, which is sort of like a bit of a, you know, the pat on their own back, patting themselves on the back. Mm. Do you think that uh, where the measurement process or the measurement methodology is flawed, therefore? Yeah, yeah. I can, yeah. You can say it in heaps of different ways. Yeah. One thing that's happening in companies now is there's a lot of people that are unwell and we're not asking why they're unwell. Like why is there a huge push of wellness products? It's because probably someone's unwell, but companies aren't hospitals. So, you know, we're just putting Band-Aids on people. My sort of personal opinion is people aren't productive. And when it comes to joining the workforce, they're not convinced that they can be productive. Um, And, you know, my sort of feeling on economic prosperity and whether you can be productive or not is that nearly everyone has the aptitude to be a technologist. Nearly every business is looking for a technologist. And if you build a tech career successfully skill-wise, you'll be able to buy a house. And then all of a sudden, if we have companies that have good direction and they can build products so people can build things versus just manage things or report on things, we'll have a more well workforce. So I, you know, I think the fundamental problem is um, we don't have enough people joining they're not interested as much as they used to be in joining and the path to joining is a lot harder. It takes about 4.9 years for the average university student to get a job requisite of the salary. Like that's pretty bad. 21 to 25, one in four are depressed. It's not just a veteran issue. We're fundamentally built a society that's like, okay, uh, we don't build many things in Australia. Wish we did, but we don't. Um, 
and building things is really positive. And that's why the most successful companies in Australia right now are companies that build products like Canva and Alassian. And the ones that aren't are managed services or running services. And, you know, digital natives aren't interested in that. Why would they? They've had technology in their hands since they were 10. So um, I think that there is a real challenge with getting people into the workforce, making them motivated. And I fundamentally think the only way you can do it is making it more accessible by hiring off potential, matching people to the team they're joining versus the overall company brand and building more products yourself. Um, and that changes the dynamics of what you do. It allows you to grow. It allows people a reason to come to work. It's easy to connect them remotely if they're building a product and not managing projects or risk. And um, all we have to do to do that is, well, ask ourselves a question. As a business or as a government department, has hiring off experience allowed us to deliver all of our projects on time? Are we the most profitable or productive that we could be? Are our workforces satisfied? And I guarantee if we ask ourselves that question, it's probably no. The cyber attacks are a good example. Been hiring a lot of people. I've been building cyber people in Australia for six years. Um, Firstly, I got told it was 17,000 openings. No, it's just when you trawl job boards, there's 17,000 job openings. There's probably like a 1,000. So we're not even telling people that are training for a cyber career that actually there's only about a 1,000 jobs. So... Um, and that was you know that was six six years ago, uh, so that's one problem. And now we look at did we actually solve all the problems in these large organisations? No, no, we didn't. So um, I I fundamentally think that we've got a real challenge soon in making our labour market productive. And the only way that we're going to be able to do that is by making it go from a commodities market, which it is. People speculate on your experience or skills, so you get a job based off who you know, so who handles you, to an asset market where we assess your aptitude, we work out what you're great at, not what you're good at, what you're great at, and we match that to what the market needs. And that is a completely different way of looking at talent. It's, it's a pretty way of putting it. Like I'm, I, I actually feel a, bit, feel a bit stunned in terms of the way you just uh, expressed all that, but everything you said to me is complete logic. Yeah, it's like, you know, all we did, right, is we're just a bunch of annoying combat veterans and I'm not even a good one. And we were like, hey – the boys and girls that we work with can't get a job. That's really annoying, right? Well, why can't they? Well, the system's based off the resume. Resume was invented by Leonardo da Vinci a long time ago. And the alternative to the system is an AI technology reading resumes faster. So it's like, well, if my resume's already bad, it's not going to work. Yeah. And it's, you know, we're just finding a needle in a haystack faster than the competition when we really need to build people. And the only way you can build people is look at their potential. The army's been doing it since the dormant time. So you know, we, we take you, you're just an ordinary person. We put you in a team, we give you skills, and then you do extraordinary things. There is no reason why the market and businesses can't do that, and great businesses already do. Well, Canva does that. Yeah, I, I Canva has a system similar to what you were describing. Sure they do. I'm not surprised at all. And, and, and in fact, in the interview process, you have to go and have to meet the team that you're going to work for. That yeah, makes sense. And they interview you. Yeah. The team talks to you. So what we do is we – we aptitude test you. We match it all the jobs before you do anything. So every, you don't have to click on anything. You can be like, oh, I could do this. I could do this in five years. I could do it in 10. And then we we see what your personality can add to the culture, not fit the culture. Very different. Sometimes you need a disagreeable person to get the project back on track. Sometimes you need someone that's a little bit neurotic and emotional to feel what the customer needs to feel and have higher EQ. Um, and that's really different. Like that's a really different way of looking at it. We're not looking to fit 
your culture. We're looking to you to add. And then the last thing we do is showcase your skills. Like what can you really do right now so that we can make an assessment whether we train you or we train you when you start or you're good to go. So that whole model is like three steps and that saves a significant amount of time, removes stress and actually integrates your teams into the hiring process so they feel when they hire someone, they're more accountable. Um, and this whole recruiting system thing, like we were just a bunch of veterans that kept getting annoyed and every time someone didn't want to hire a veteran, we built another piece of technology to showcase why you should and all of a sudden ended up with a talent management software that's all over the world. Now, a really simple way of thinking about it is we got to the front of the bus and realized no one was fucking driving it. So we're going to drive it. And when we drive it, we're going to make it free for everyone behind us because really my business's core function is doing nothing other than two things, convincing them that there is an objective way of hiring, retaining someone off potential and that they are an asset and not an operational expense. And two, convincing everyone that's not a technologist that they could be. Because if you're not one, you're not going to be able to buy a house. And if you can't buy a house, you can't park your space shuttle anywhere. <laughs> to be honest with you, like this conversation, I didn't expect this, Tom. Like, uh, sure. Find the conversation or the insight that you're providing is quite extraordinary. Yeah. I don't know yeah. why anyone's backed me because I have no reason to back me, right? Like I have no I'm skills. I'm not sure about that. No, like, no, it's not about that. It's, yeah. it, it's what you're doing right. is the reason to back you. Do you have backers? Yeah, do, yeah, yeah, you got you got back. Yeah, we probably raised about forty million. Yeah, so over you, the last so eight years. yeah, so you've gone and done you know all the usual. Like we've had raises. to become a tech company. Yeah, and learn to be technologists. Yeah, and you know seventy five percent of my staff are people that have never done technology before. Yeah, well, you're even yourself though. You you know you're somehow it sounds like you've done the aptitude test on yourself. Oh, everyone does in my company. Yeah, no, yeah. you've did, you must have done it yourself day one, or some stage. Yeah, subliminally at least. And then all you've done, not all you've done, but what you've done is you then transferred that whole investigation or interrogation into your aptitude test. It's pretty cool. It's very cool. Yeah, I, you know, it would probably tell you right now that I'm not the right CEO to be the next CEO. And I agree with that. You know, this business has gone from like 100 people to, you know, a few hundred people in the space of like nine months. I'm now steadying and managing the business after a substantial amount of growth and a change in capital markets. Um, it's a it's it's very tough and I would say that um, the only thing that sort of keeps you going is, um, well, no one's coming. You learn that in the army. Like you better solve this problem yourself because you're not going to get bailed out. You and It's just you and your team. You better solve it. Two, um, some things are worth giving everything for and I'm not letting any more people that just can't enter the labour market because of a system that's barely used is stopping them. So let's take that down. And, uh, you know, last but not least, sometimes a, you know, a scrappy company founded by ordinary people can take on tech giants. I think you can. I fucking love that. I mean, yeah. I, that's to me, yeah. that's, that's a good spot to end. For me, that's, that's one statement. Mm. It's very Australian. Mm. It's also, you, you talked about Australian army, but it's also an Australianism for us. That's what we do. We take on anybody. And you just said earlier, right at the very beginning, so Australians have a great reputation as being creative yeah. and very good on the ground or very good in in combat. Mm. And that's what you just said to me then is what Australian businesses do, I think. I think we're very good in the combat of business and I think we're very creative mm. in business and I think what you're doing is a bloody good example of it. I wish more Australians rem reminded themselves of that, though. Yeah, I, I totally. Sometimes I'm glad they don't because I'd be competing with too many people, but, <laughs> but you're 100% right. Tom Moore, thanks very much. Thanks for your time, Mark.
Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley. And production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.